0: there. You're listening to the Grace in Real Time podcast. I'm your host, Paula Mazza, and together with my producer and husband, Jamie, we're exploring conversations about mental health, faith, and the importance of presenting our most honest and authentic selves when it comes to life in community. No Tidy Bows here, just real talk about real life in real time. This conversation is ongoing, and we are so glad you have chosen to be a part of it. So take a deep breath, settle in, and enjoy today's episode of Grace in Real Time. Jamie. Hey, Paula. <laughs> how fun is this? We are in our very first episode of Grace in Real Time.
1: It's so awesome.
0: I know. Long time coming, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What are you looking forward to?
1: Well, I'm looking forward to some great conversations around mental health and how we incorporate that into ministry and how we incorporate that into everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I am excited about the name of this podcast being lived out, Grace in Real Time.
1: Yeah, what does that mean for you?
0: Yeah, so think about it. What happens in real time? Everything, right? Real time is the present moment, whether it's great, whether it's awful, (laughs) whether everything's hitting the fan or you're just on cloud nine or and everything in between. It all happens in real time. It's the present moment and the idea behind the name is that no matter what's going on around you, there's always grace to be found. When we bring our truest, most authentic selves to the present moment, there's grace in that. And these conversations help us explore that.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot that we can learn from the people that we're interviewing mm-hmm. about showing each other grace yeah. in real time.
0: Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and that makes me so excited for our guest today. So we're interviewing the Reverend Dr. Michael J. McClenahan, <laughs> who is a dear friend of ours and a uh, happens to be my boss, but also um, longtime mentor, just all around great guy, great family.
1: Yeah, we've known Mike for 18 years. Really? Right? Wow, yeah. I think he's been senior pastor for 18 years. And you know we've seen his boys grow up. Mm-hmm. They were in high school when they they moved down here to San Diego, and uh, you know I volunteer with the high school ministry, and I you know was part of that ministry when the yeah. when um, Brendan and Connor were in high school yeah. and they started a band and. <laughs> You know, it's just super cool to be around them and, and, and watch them grown up into adults and now yeah. parents. And mm-hmm. so that's cool. And then also Mike has been, you know, a friend and a mentor to us for mm-hmm. all of these years. And so it's really great to just hear him talk from the heart about his experiences and in, in life and his career and his job and uh, just personally what he's been dealing with in his family, just some really deep conversation that I think everybody's going to benefit from.
0: Yeah. And and there are definitely no tidy bows here, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> he talks real.
1: Yeah. There's some messy things that have happened in his life. And I thought it was really cool that he was willing to to share that and talk about it. In the context of mental health, I think it was, you know, it's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into it. Well hi Mike, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks Paula, great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm just thrilled to have you here. Tell us, a little, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are yeah. you? Who is Mike McClenahan?
2: I'm Mike McClenahan. I <laughs> currently serve as a senior pastor at Solana Beach Presbyterian Church. That's my calling, my, my role as a pastor and I'm also husband to Amy uh, for 36 years and I um, i got two grown sons who are married. I've got seven grandchildren, all under nine years old. Wow,
0: that's amazing. And you haven't always lived in Southern California, or have you?
2: Uh, no, I haven't always lived in Southern California, but I was uh, born and raised in Glendale, California in the LA area. Went to UCLA. And so I didn't move out of the area for that. Moved to Northern California when Amy and I got, Amy and I got married. We're living in the Bay Area for 13 years and have been living here in San Diego for about 18 years.
0: Amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah.
2: It's a long time. And we love San Diego.
0: <laughs> yeah. What do, what do you love about it?
2: You know what? I think that San Diego is the best of California. If you had the greatest hits of California, it would be San Diego. Because <laughs> the weather is the best in California. It's the ocean, the, um, the lagoons and the hills and the neighborhoods. Yeah, um, There's all different kind of vibes all up and down the coast and downtown San Diego. And it's close to Mexico. I think it's really cool. Love it.
0: Yeah. And you have a heart for uh, both sides of the border.
2: I do. Yep. And so it's been fun over the years to pop over into Tijuana or Rosarito Ensenada and do ministry and um, see God at work. Yeah. um, All kinds of places. So that's awesome.
0: Well, thinking about your role as a senior pastor, what are some of the joys or what are some of the things that really makes your heart come alive in that position?
2: You know, Paula, I've always... Really desired two things. One is transformation. I think that God—it's fun to see God do new things in people's lives, for people to become more aware of something, for them to see something inside of themselves that's new, for them to discover new purpose or uh, a new way of serving or being generous or those kind—the kinds of transformation. I think that seeing people experience real change in their lives, so that it's tangible. For example, I don't want us just to think differently or feel differently. I want us to be different. So, to see us make a difference in each other's lives in the church and make a difference in the world really gets me excited. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a joy. That's a joy.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's um, something that comes from the core. Like you see the whole, the core changing. It's almost like the molecules are changing on your skin in that transformation. Yeah. 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 yeah so,
2: that's fun. And it's fun to see. I think it's a joy to see the church as a family, mm-hmm. uh, to see babies to uh, senior adults in one church family and to, to see how not only to see the contours of faith over time but also to see how we reform as mm-hmm. a spiritual family and literally a real family for people yeah. to experience each other as brothers and sisters and and to be to be in the body of Christ together as family, I think is a really Cool thing to watch. That's a joy for me, uh, for sure. So, those are a couple things, I think.
0: Yeah, that, that, that family piece means a lot to me. As you know, I've yeah. been at this the church since I was 10 years old, but I'm at a point in my life where both my parents have passed away. I don't have any siblings. I have a couple relatives that are on the other side of the United States that I don't get to talk a whole lot with. So really, um, my extended family is is here at church and, and, you know, and Jamie's extended family, but in terms of my own blood, like this is, yeah, this is, is, this is it. This is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I also know that it's not all joys. Mm-hmm. There, there are some heartaches there. What are what are some of the heartaches of, of being a senior pastor?
2: Well, I, th- I think one of the, I'll, I'll say a challenge. I don't know if it's always a heartache, sure. but a challenge sure. for anyone in leadership is that leadership can be lonely. I know there's a Harvard Business um, Review that said that um, leadership is lonely and that leaders need to find allies within the organization that are supportive kind of your your people your your support within the organization Mm -hmm. and you have to have friends outside of the organization that have nothing to do with your role and that to find that balance i think is really important so i think part of the challenges of being a senior pastor is the challenge of any leader in any organization it's there's just some things that are are difficult that come with leadership and creating creating change leading change dealing with Imperfect people as an imperfect person. You know, there's always challenges in that. I think one of the challenges of being a pastor is the expectations are not always well defined. I have a job description, but I also have a thousand different people who may think of the role of a pastor differently. Right. So having clarity for me about what my role is, what I'm called to do, what I'm good at, what I ask other people to do, I think is all part of being a senior pastor. So I would say one of the one of the things I would say is a is a challenge and a joy is to a challenge to make God's Word really relevant for people. I think over the years, it's been a joy for me to take an ancient document, that's just words on a page, and make it come alive for people in a way that they would discover something in it for themselves yeah. and actually to see how that written word actually comes alive in their lives or in their relationships or motivates them to be the people that God has called them to be. I think that's a great joy for me personally as I'm doing it, but yeah. also as people are experiencing it. And it's a challenge because. you're not always sure that what you're doing is landing with people or it's sticking with people. And so you wonder from time to time is what I'm doing really having an impact. And I think that's, that's a challenge, but I'll, I'll share a real heartache, a real heartache. If you talk about heartaches is, Mm -hmm. is the opposite of what I said was a passion for me or a joy of being family is sometimes when family is no longer family, Either the people that you love die, pass away because you've grown close to them. And there's many people over the years that I have considered to be family who have passed away within the church family. That's
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's hard.
0: Yeah. That's really hard. For sure. For and sure. then
2: there's other ways of separation that have to do with people moving away or leaving, deciding that this is no longer their church family, mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out, well, what, what does that mean? for us yeah. as a, as a family. And it yeah. taps into some of my own experience of family as a child that I think are still things that we work out as adults. So.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Cause I know that your family of origin has a lot to do with how you approach life and how you, how you roll now. Yeah. Do you, what, what do you want to tell us about that?
2: I grew up in a family that went to church. My parents met in college and they got married fairly young, but they both have, had had experiences with God and with the church, so that raising me in the church was sort of a natural thing for them, they found their natural community in the church and i I was baptized in the church, I was in Sunday school. My parents had four four children i had I had three siblings, my older brother Pat, who is uh, two years older than me, my younger brother Kirk, who was four years younger than me, and then Christopher, six years younger. Two events in our lives that really shaped me, I think, for the rest of my life. The first is my brother Christopher, when he was three and a half, he wandered off down the path alongside of our property while my mom was on the phone. She went in to answer the phone and he slipped out the back door and went down the path and he slipped it down the side of the embankment that was a steep 30-foot drop and landed on his head, had, had brain damage and was in the hospital and uh, died a short time later. Wow. And for me, um, I was nine years old, fourth grade, and uh, I remember uh, being picked up at the at school by my grandmother, who never picked me up, and wondering why she picked me up. And she told me that Christopher was in the hospital. My mom was, my parents were with him, and and I never saw Christopher again. And Christopher and I were buddies, so it it changed our family dynamic um, in that I went from being the second oldest to being the middle. Child, yeah, yeah, and I lost my buddy, and right. so I right. I began to feel some loneliness in my own family structure. And then, eighteen months later, my dad left, and uh, my parents divorced when I was in seventh grade. So,
0: yeah, it strikes uh, me that both of those things happen while you're a preteen, essentially yeah. during those yeah. really, really formative that really formative window of yeah. um, development.
2: Fourth, wow. fourth grade, and sixth grade.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
2: oftentimes I, I think uh, when people say kids are so resilient, I think, well, they're, they're, we, they appear to be resilient because they seem to bounce back. They have fun. They don't know how to process it. But I think the impacts of our childhood, that, that, our childhood, that events in our childhood have a, a lasting impact in our lives, even though we don't understand what it is through our teenage right. years or young adult years. And sometimes those things creep up later in life and we don't even know where they came from. Yeah. So, um, so I, I say those are two big events in our lives that changed us. Changed my relationship with my parents. My mom remarried um, shortly after my parents' divorce, which led to her uh, renewal of faith, which led to my renewal of faith, um, and really making a commitment to follow Jesus when I was when I was thirteen, and having that really be a significant restart of my relationship with God, for me to understand that, that I was in a relationship with God, that he would be with me no matter where I went. And that definitely shaped my childhood. Wow. Um, So that's, that's some of the highlights of growing up. I, I loved sports. I, I had good friends. Um, I was considered a popular kid. I served. That
0: doesn't surprise me at all. Student
2: student (laughs) government. I mean, so one one of the, the interesting things for me, Paula, is that on the outside, I appeared to be just fine. Yeah. And on, yet on the inside, there was loneliness and grief that I didn't know always how to deal with. Right. And so I, I think that's a pretty significant thing for me. So those, those are some highlights and graduated from high school, went to UCLA, was a Spanish major, became a pharmaceutical sales rep. I like to say that I sold drugs before I went into ministry. <laughs> and then uh, Amy You're and a I, dealer. That's right. Amy and I we had met in junior high, but we never really dated until after all of that. And we were married and had our twin sons when I was in seminary. And
0: there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, those are some pretty significant uh, formative moments mm-hmm. for you. You've been pretty public about your journey with mental health and mental mm-hmm. wellness. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, can, what can you share with us about what that has been like, um, even, even seeking healing from your experiences as a child and wrestling with, you know, continued feelings of all, the, all of the above?
2: Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, Paula, I, when I was installed here as senior pastor, a friend of mine, Jeff gave me a charge and he held up a mortar and pestle. And he said to the congregation, Solana Beach, you are a sick church and Mike is here for your healing. And God is the great apothecary who's putting together the right formula for you in your healing.
0: Wow! Wow.
2: And then he said to me, Mike, you are a sick man and God is the great apothecary who is forming the medicine that you're going to need for your healing. And my mom turned to me and she said, is there something wrong? Are you okay?
0: <laughs> and, oh man. And so, so, you
2: know, it's kind of interesting to me that God has used my own experience of being a pastor to yeah. lead to some of my own healing. And so I would say part of my own mental health or my own emotional journey is tied with who I am as a pastor. So as I talk about the church as family, for example, you know, that that represents some real needs that I have to be connected to others in meaningful ways. And when, you know, when I deal with conflict, I'm, I bump up against some of the the things that I learned as a child, either yeah. what not to say or how to use my anger or whatnot. So I have found that over the years, having trusted friends on the journey with me uh, in a variety of ways has helped me to identify some of those things and stay as healthy as I can be. One of those people is my wife, Amy, mm. who has been a really trusted, honest partner for 36 years. And we've grown up as a young adults and through adulthood together. And she's been on this journey of ministry with me from the beginning. So yeah. that's, that's probably my closest friend for my own emotional health.
0: Right. And that in itself has taken some work over time. That's
2: right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And always um, growing, always. Yep. And then I would say having therapists in my life, I think, uh, I think I've had three different depending on where I've lived, three different therapists who have helped me to process some of my own emotions and understand some of the impacts of those things in my childhood and some of the patterns that i learned. Spiritual directors, I think, have also been really key for me to process where is God in the midst of my life and where am I with God? And then Paula, I'll also say that you know mentors, friends who have been available, especially, especially earlier in ministry, but even currently people that I meet with as friends who model yeah. for me emotional and spiritual health. I think a combination of all of those things has really been significant for me to deal with just my own emotional, spiritual health.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder, um, I know in the past we've kind of talked about this is who are the people in your boat. (laughs) And, you know, you have always been a, um, from my experience, you're somebody who cares deeply for the people that you are with. Um, either in friendship or in family or in um, in a church community or even as your staff, mm-hmm. and I just wonder how how are some of the ways that your journey with mental health has shaped your approach towards um, the care and keeping of the people in your life mm-hmm. a- including yourself yeah, <laughs> in that yeah,
2: I would you know I, for me i I have to recognize my limitations. i can't I cannot be everything to everybody.
0: Yeah.
2: So for example, on our own staff, when we have wanted to grow emotionally, spiritually to me, some of that I can do, some of that I need help from others. I need mm-hmm. coaches. We need, I need to bring out in outside resources. We've had a spiritual director with us, contracted with us for, I think, 15, 16 years. And yeah. that has been a great support for me to be able to say, I am just one of you and I need to grow as well. And it helps me to be knowing my own limits that way helps me to be a participant instead of always a leader. I know I'm always leading, but to lead with humility and authenticity, you can't always be the one who is upfront leading everything yeah, or right. thinking that I'm the one who has all the answers. So right. I think relying on other, recognize my own limitations and relying on others or delegating to someone within our own team to lead a particular part of our team and trusting them with that so that i think that has been helpful to me and i think that's what comes to my mind i think in terms of the people in my life i i don't know how a pastor, let's just say a pastor i don't know how pastors keep everything healthy when you have your personal life your own walk with god Your family life, marriage, children, and the responsibility of caring for others on staff or members. So, one of the things I think is healthy for me, and knowing my limitations, is trying to be as transparent as I can be with the people I work with. Yeah, I found that pretending is just too hard. It's too hard to pretend, and and all the things I just described is it's too hard to keep up appearances. Right, and I think that's what. That, that also goes back to my own experience as a child where because we looked okay, people assumed we were okay. And that's, right. that's not always the healthiest way to go.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's tremendous wisdom there, Mike. And I've certainly experienced that of you, um, the, the authenticity. And um, that's always been a model, <laughs> something that I've admired.
2: When someone is being vulnerable, doesn't that... Give the rest of us freedom, which is part of your heart for what you're doing right. in this podcast is, is talking about things that sometimes people don't want to talk about or don't end up talking about. And we make assumptions about who they are. So we fill in right. all the blanks, especially for someone like a pastor or any leader. We assume that everything is better than it is because if they don't say anything, we wouldn't know. So right, right, doesn't it give freedom to everybody else to be themselves?
0: Right. Our church has a... Um a mission statement of vision of being a community that is growing together uh, as disciples and growing in our love for God and our love for others. I wonder from your perspective, what role do you think mental health has in that mission Mm -hmm. and seeing that mission lived out?
2: Well, you can, you could probably look at this from both sides of how mental unhealth, Mm -hmm. what's the word you use disease not disease, but unhealth. Mental
0: illness, yeah.
2: Mental, well, how mental illness, but yeah. how, how unhealthy people mm-hmm. have a hard time relating to God
1: mm-hmm.
2: and how unhealthy people have a challenge relating to other people. Right. So to me, you know, we're whole beings. We're not just spiritual beings. We're not just spiritual beings. We have bodies and we have, we have uh, hearts. We have emotions. And... I believe that God wants to inhabit all of us. God wants to heal all of us. And if we're not mentally or emotionally healthy or mental illness is something that goes unnoticed or unchecked, then it impacts the way we relate to God in a healthy way and the way we relate to others, our neighbors. To each other in the church family. And I, I, if the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, then being healthy in all those aspects will help us to engage with one another in healthy relationships. And there's a lot at stake, for, at least for the church, for yeah. us not to be in a healthy place.
0: Yeah, I wonder. Um, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about we can look at this from the perspective as the per, from the person who is struggling with mental illness or or just mental health, being the overall wellness as a as a person. And in a sense, everybody has struggles in, in, in that area. But I, so so we look we can look at it from that person's perspective. But you can also look at it from the community perspective, and how they are welcoming and 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 championing each other and encouraging. Cheering each other on. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that in terms of being a space where people, people can come as they are, seeking wholeness and growing in their love for God and love for each other.
2: Well, I think we start from a, a place of believing that every person is broken. We all have a bro- we all have some brokenness. Mm-hmm. So whether the the, ver- the varying degrees of mental illness or wellness and the varying degrees of physical abilities and disabilities, right? right. Abilities. Yeah. So I think th- this, the broken relationships that we have, our broken hearts. I mean, I, I think there's a if we come from a place of humility and of brokenness and acknowledge our own brokenness before one another, mm-hmm. we, we can become a place of healing for all kinds of people. I remember people in the past... There have been people in our congregation who have given me their tokens mm. from AA mm-hmm. to say, "I want you to have this because this community has helped encourage me in my own sobriety." And you probably didn't wow. even know that I was an alcoholic, but but being in this community, I I I'm, I feel welcomed, I feel heard, and so I want you to have this. And wow. that is an opportunity for us to create a space for all different kinds, because we could have the same conversation around people with physical abilities and disabilities, right? Challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, My brother's daughter is uh, 34 years old and she has cerebral palsy. And when Mm. she was young, they put in the church, they put together a team of people who were Kelly's friends Mm. and they helped her get in and out of her classroom and just be a welcoming presence for her. And without that support, my brother and sister-in-law would not have been able to attend church. But the same thing is true for people. That's a physical disability that everybody can see. But if we were to recognize, as I think my own background helps me to see people as they are and not assume Mm -hmm. that because they look good, that they are okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. If we we start from a place of, we are all broken people then whatever we share with one another, as long as it's real, Mm -hmm. other people can identify with their own issue, with their own challenge. And it deals with a lot of things that scripture says we have no business doing, like judging others or putting up barriers for others or not welcoming one another. So I think that's I think that our ability to see our own weaknesses, our own limitations, our own brokenness helps us to welcome other people as ordinary people.
0: Right. And I know as you said, I mean, people can look at you as the head pastor. And right. if they're not listening to what you're saying, they could look at you and think, oh, well, you know, Pastor Mike, he has it all together. He's a pastor. My gosh. You know, yeah. what a he's he's you know, you don't feel like they kind of gotta get it all together to to be in your presence because you're the pastor. Yeah. But but as you continue to be so authentic about your own journey of ups and downs and mm-hmm. um and your own path towards your your own discipleship path of uh-huh. of, of seeking wholeness and um and sometimes things are not okay. I think that really helps communicate to the community that message and solidifies it counters that assumption otherwise which I think yeah. is really helpful.
2: For pastors, I don't know how this is true for other people in other contexts, probably true for parents, probably true for grandparents. If every story you tell you're the hero of the story, every punchline is that you did great and everybody else was stupid right. or whatever, you know what I mean? it right. just it perpetuates the pedestal that people put us on and so I always think I need to tell something about myself that at least makes it real. It doesn't always have to be about me. It can just be, for example, sharing my own emotions about something. Yeah. You know, we, by the way, Paula, in the church and in the world, we get so confused over things like thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And I say, how are you feeling? And you go, or what, what are you feeling right now? And you'll say, you know, I really think that, or I feel that. And we start talking about our thoughts about things because thoughts are so uh, well received. Mm. We all like to hear thoughts. We all want to know what you think about something. We all want to explain something. And when we share our emotions, sometimes that's scary. And sometimes we're afraid to share our emotions because when we start to do that and get in touch with our own hearts, we lose some control. And there have been times when I've preached where I've started to tell a story and I choke up Mm -hmm. and what I do next is really important. Right. Am I right? My tendency is to say something funny because it's too uncomfortable. But if we ignore our emotions that way, then we're saying emotions are off limits. Right, right. It goes for anger, mm-hmm. sadness. We, we can't just turn the dial to happiness all the time. We have to know how to engage that. So I, I think I have a responsibility to model the best I can appropriately what I'm actually feeling. Yeah. Not, not just what I'm thinking about something.
0: It's, it's, it's like you're practicing vulnerability.
2: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That, I just think that's, I think we, you know, it's kind of like, I think what you're asking is when people come to our church, they're wondering, am I welcomed here or would people understand me here? And I don't know that I can address every issue that anybody would be dealing with. I don't think I have to say something about depression or bipolar or or suicidal tendencies, or anything that we would say are categories of mental illness, or I don't think I have to say something about that every week. I just think I have to be real enough that people know that whatever they're experiencing, that it's, it's okay. Whatever we're dealing with, um, self-image or challenges of growing older or feeling isolated alone. I think during, during the pandemic, people were all wondering, is anybody feeling what I'm feeling? And I don't want to just harp on the negative, but I have to keep reminding us that this is a time. This was a time of uncertainty, unpredictability, and there might be some real deep disappointment and sadness and loss and grief. Yeah. That should validate somebody's experience and not feel like I'm even more alone than I feel.
0: So you may share those things from the pulpit, but people in the congregation may or may not have caught that one sermon when you have said that. However... The hope is, is that as they're drawn into a community that is being shaped from the top down, Mm -hmm. you know, top being God working Mm -hmm. in you, working in the people working in, you know, um, that as that's happening, that they may have missed that sermon or this one or, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. But they are interacting with people who are who did hear it and that did shape who they are and who they're becoming and made them become more vulnerable. And there's this ripple effect that creates a culture. That's really, really important.
2: You know, in uh, Paul, when I did my doctor of ministry studies, I discovered the beauty and the power of small groups Mm. where people could be face to face in a circle instead of sitting in rows listening to someone. So, you know, circles are better than rows. I think the phrase goes circles are better than rows that in church. So much of our attention is on the, the chancel, on the stage, the pulpit listening to one person speak and we get the idea that everything is just facing forward and that's fine it's good to receive information but circles provide the opportunity for people to to be themselves to each other yeah. and i found in my studies that the greatest barrier to churches having successful small groups is the senior pastor because they're not willing to delegate the responsibility of shepherding or of people connecting with one another, he's not willing to do that, not willing to let go of control. Hmm. And that was hard for me at first. Sure. Because I wanted to be in relationships with people and I wasn't sure how it all turn out. But what I discovered over time was if you create the right culture with the right values and the right boundaries for people, the right leadership of what people do in those circles, then God can do amazing things when people are face-to-face. And so therefore, if in a sermon... I share my own story. And then we set up an experience of people sharing their own stories, which we've mm-hmm. done many times over the years. Yeah. Then people begin to see each other as human beings and they they drop their guards and they realize, oh, I can just be myself. And isn't that what it means to be loved unconditionally or to experience the kind of love that God has for us? So when you say, what is the what is the importance of mental health in a church family, Mm -hmm. if we can be face-to-face and to be able to share who we truly are, it may reveal some things that we need a therapist or a coach or a mentor to deal with. But we've established the foundation of our church community as we are human beings. We're, we are just Mm -hmm. ourselves. And that's, and that's enough. Mm -hmm. And to me, that can be tremendously healing for people and yes. who at different times in their lives feel isolated. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. So I think that's, that's a powerful way for us to use our leadership, at least in the church, to create healthy spaces for people to discover oh, yeah. things.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause how often do people feel like they have to get it together in order to go to church? They have to, they, I can't show up to church like this. You know, I can't, I can't present myself as I am right now. This, you know, I have to, I've got to get it together and then I can go to church, yeah. um, which is the, which is the antithesis of what church is and what we believe, what Jesus is and what we believe. Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. Even in our small group, Paula, over the years, Amy and I have always been in a small group for 18 years. We've been in a small group. We've never, never led that group together, but we've been in a group and it's interesting to see how the sharing goes. And people want to turn their attention to me. I'm not the facilitator. I'm like, Mike, what do you think? And my role right there, what I do is important because mm-hmm. I might share what I think, but I have to say to the rest of them, well, what do all you think? Because we're right. a small group. right? And I, you know, t- one of the greatest compliments I, I could get as a pastor is somebody say, you know, you're in our small group and I realize you're just a real person. And I, and I think that's important for yeah. all of us. It's important yeah. for me and it's important for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. So kind of as we're, as we're winding up here, I mm-hmm. wonder what would you want? What do you think would be the most helpful for other ministry leaders to hear here in light of this conversation?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, deal with your stuff because ministry can be a great place of healing for us, or ministry could be a great excuse for not experiencing healing. Mm. In other words, if I'm not taking care of my own stuff, it will eke out someplace else. It will show up someplace else in something that's unhealthy. So if I'm responsible for shepherding the people in my church, I need to be not perfect. I need to be as healthy and as accountable as I can to my own Spiritual life, my own emotional life, my own physical life, my marriage, you know I, I just think we have to take care of ourselves it 's kind of like the the parents who were told on the airplane to put the oxygen on yourself first and then help your child, and I think it shows itself in burnout and in dysfunctional churches where pastors don 't take care of themselves. I think we have to be in a position of always learning and always being willing to uh, get help. Mm-hmm in whatever way we need and stay fresh in our own relationship with God and with others. So, so if you say, what's one thing, what's (laughs) one thing that I need to know? I think it's make sure that we are healthy leaders. Yeah. And because if we're not healthy leaders, we will not lead in healthy ways, which means that we're not creating the the therapeutic community or the, the healthy community that God would want us to be, to be a place of transformation for others.
0: Yeah. I I kind of think about, our bodies, our whole bodies, complete bodies, mind, body, and soul as um, something to be a steward of Mm -hmm. and, and thinking about how can we be the best stewards we can of this tremendous gift of a physical body and a, and a brain in that body and Mm -hmm. a soul that, that the, you know, that the spirit dwells in Mm -hmm. Um, how can we be the best stewards of that and, and doing so not of our own Power, but trusting God as we seek to Mm -hmm. take care of our physical bodies and take care of our our brains and our um, emotions and and um, all of that. Yeah, you
2: know, Paula, if I could just if I can tell one more story. Yeah. Um, When we talk about mental health, I've had the experience in the last couple months of watching my mom Mm -hmm. sort of deteriorate with dementia. Well, it's coming quickly. We're seeing we've only seen it recently uh, with. Eyes wide open. We we've seen my mom experience hallucinations. She has had memory loss, but last week I spent a couple days with her to see what she really what she's really going through. And to see your somebody that you love really experience mental illness in, in reality, where she's seeing things and she's losing her memory, you know, that's, that's heartbreaking. And I want her to have the best care that she can get. It's not always possible to get the best care. Right. You know, like I, i always wanted my mom to experience more healing. And now I realize that the best that I can do, and sometimes this is the best that any of us can do, is to be present with the person who's struggling. There may not be a silver bullet therapist for them to see. There may not be a program for them to enter into. It may just be that we need to be the healthiest, most present person we can be in that moment. And trust that God is doing something in them and in us. Yeah. I think we can become too professionalized in, in our recommendations that somebody always see a professional, although that may be really important. that may be it. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us stand around and watch. Right. Does that makes sense. Like, yes. So I would say right now, you know, my heart is breaking for my mom, who is experiencing life very differently and not in a way that she expected to, and I'm having to be in the moment, present with her, and um, that that presses on some of my own emotional needs and challenges, my own grief, and the best thing I can do is to be aware of that grief and grieve deeply yeah. for my sake for the sake of my marriage, my family, my church family, and not to avoid or pretend. So that's just, that's a real thing that I'm going through right now that makes me very aware of mental health.
0: Yeah, I bet. Mm -hmm. I bet. Um, I heard somebody say once that one of the greatest gifts you can give to your future self is to be present with your emotions in the moment um as you're feeling them and to really feel them give yourself time and space to feel them and work through them because the less you do that the more you'll have to unpack down the road mm-hmm. and if you're able to do that in real time then there is also <laughs> i almost want to make a um i mean the name of this podcast is grace in real time mm-hmm. that's the, that's the name of it and that I really genuinely believe that as you are able to be honest about the moment that's in front of you, Mm -hmm. that um, as scary as that can be, that there is tremendous grace to be found right there in front of you in in those moments. And,
2: you know, I, the last time I saw my mom last week, you know, I gave her a hug and she's after a day of confusion, she said, I love you. I'm Mm -hmm. so proud of you. Thank you for visiting. And she gave me a hug and I thought, In this moment, I'm a Mm -hmm. child. Yeah. And what do I need to, what grace of God do I need to experience right now as a child? So I guess that would be another thing I would say to ministry leaders. Never forget that you are simply a child of God who is loved by God. Yeah. And that's a great reminder to me with my mom right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. I know that's yep. that's a real time pain and and um, just a, a life experience that is packed. Right. <laughs> it's just it's packed. Yep. And that's how it is. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for spending time with us. Um, a lot of wisdom here. A lot of good, 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 good stuff. And I really hope our listeners can hear with open ears and um, and our looking in the areas, looking in their lives at, at places where um, maybe there's some, some things that need to be dealt with and looking for ways to deal with that. Great. Thanks, Paula. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. <laughs> nice having you on. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, friends, as you can see, there's a lot on the surface, a lot under the surface and there's much to be discussed there when it comes to ministry and mental health. There was something that Mike said that really stood out to me, this this idea of being willing to deal with your stuff, that ministry can be a great space for either healing or hiding. And I feel like Mike has been very real and authentic about that and has modeled what it means to live in authentic community. He never hesitates when he's preaching. He never hesitates to talk about being in therapy or the ups and downs of life in front of his congregation. And it's not that he necessarily wants to (laughs) air out his dirty laundry, but that he wants everyone to know that this stuff is real and um, for the sake of solidarity to be a model of what it means to live authentically. And I think that's pretty great.
1: Yeah, I was struck by a couple of things in the conversation I mean, I you don't hear me talking at all during mm-hmm. the, the the conversation, but I was listening the whole time. And the first thing that struck me is how willing Mike is to share his stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not everything, right? But the the um, death of his brother when he was that young was pretty, was really significant.
0: Yeah, formative.
1: Yeah, in his life, and he uh as, as far back as i can remember he's been willing to share that as mm-hmm. as part of this is who i am right and this is what has shaped me right but listening to it, him tell the story this time it was really heartbreaking still yeah. right i i knew the story
0: yeah well and he tells it not as um not just as the event itself but also the family's process of dealing with that. And that that in itself was a little heartbreaking. Right, Not really having the space to um, work it out or having um, people around him helping him work it out as a child, which left a lot to unpack as an adult.
1: Yeah. The other thing that struck me was that I think we thought that the interview was over. And he said, you know, Paula, can I share one other thing with you? Yeah. And that's when he was sharing about his mom. Yeah. And how real that is and how raw that is and that's pretty impactful for him right now.
0: Yeah, talk about real time. <laughs> yeah,
1: he he just he wanted to share that right in that moment and he was even saying you know, I don't think it was in the interview but he was saying Afterwards. after we we kind of ended it was that he was getting text conversation going on right during the interview. Yeah.
0: That on was his saying phone. we
1: need to we need to talk about mom, we need to talk about where yeah. where she's at and what we're going to do and yeah. how we're going to help her and all that. So talk about raw and real and authentic. He, in the moment, was willing to share that yeah, emotional stuff that he's going through.
0: Yeah, and that's important. I mean, why do you think that's important for a pastor or for a person to be able to talk about things as they're happening?
1: Well, I think it goes back to what he was saying as in part of the interview was, you know, we have to look at each other as human beings. Sure. We're all human beings, whether we're, you know, a super sports star or, you know, a movie star or, uh, yeah. you know, the garbage man or, <laughs> you know, we go through life and we see people pass us by all the time. And we don't look at each other as human beings. Right going through stuff everybody has their own stuff yeah and so Mike is in a position of leadership he's a senior pastor he's not only leading an organization yeah of people of staff people that work for him but he's also leading people that come to church on Sundays to hear a message from him and you know people put him up on a pedestal and think that he's infallible and he's not going to make mistakes and he's not going through stuff
0: well and and not only that but the added pressure of nationally he's had some influence you know he he is somebody who um has taken on a lot of leadership roles he's somebody who sat in the white house during the obama um administration talking about immigration reform and you know that kind of stuff so he there are layers and layers and layers of spotlight that are opportunities for people to forget that he's a guy. <laughs> he's a guy trying to live the way God has called him to live and um, do that authentically with the ups and downs and the mess and and all of it,
1: yeah, and sixty years of, you know a story, yeah that an experiences mm-hmm. and some of which he shared in this podcast mm-hmm. that have shaped him yeah and have influenced him and speak to what he wants to share with everybody today
0: yeah okay i want to share one other thing that really struck me when he was talking that i hope our listeners picked up on as well and that is his dedication to his family and to his wife in particular that he really leans on his wife Amy for um, friendship, for partnership. I've always, I know Amy, and I've always experienced her as somebody who will not hesitate to tell the truth, but does so with great love for the person who she's speaking to. Um, and, And that's very evident. And I would imagine, and that's been evident to me. And I can imagine that being even more evident to her spouse or to her children. She's somebody who also I have always admired the way that her and her and Mike together have parented. They've been a role model for us as parents. And there's just, there's so much about about that partnership there. And I know that one of the things, he didn't mention this during the podcast, but one of the things that had I asked him, he would have gladly shared was a practice that they picked up several years ago when he was having a hard time, or they were having a hard time together balancing ministry and life and all the different pieces of that and um, made a commitment to make Fridays a day for a Sabbath for just the two of them. And he's he has been such a great role model on holding that holding boundaries around that and really, really holding that as a sacred space for the two of them to um, reunite or to do whatever they need to do to stay strong in in, in their marriage. And I know it does. It's not just on Fridays. It's a Ongoing day to day thing, but I just think that there's so much wisdom in that knowing the importance of holding up your spouse and and allowing your spouse to hold you up and dedicating time to making sure that I mean that's that's part of the the plan for well well being right the care and keeping of of Mike is the care and keeping of his marriage and the care and keeping of his family and making sure that's a priority.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just another way that they've been mentors to yeah. us. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, I am so glad that you joined us today. I hope that you are able to glean some things that maybe might help you think a little differently or um, might c- cause you to have a, a, take a deep breath and say, oh yeah, it's so refreshing to hear that. I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm so glad you joined us today, and I hope you'll join us again for another fantastic conversation around mental health, faith, and the importance of presenting our most honest and authentic selves when it comes to community. See you next time.
1: listening to the Grace in Real-Time Podcast with your host, Paula Mazza. If you'd like to get in touch with Paula, send an email to paula at preteenmentalhealth.com. For more information on the Preteen Mental Health Initiative, the Grace in Real-Time Podcast, and to get connected to mental health resources, please visit our website, preteenmentalhealth.com.